Well, welcome everyone to the Robin Walter Show here at Red Sky Radio. Gosh, so much to fit in. We're going to cover only a couple of topics today. I'm going to do my Fast and Furious and Five in a few minutes. I start with some good news, uh, not something you're expecting, but I just want to launch with an introduction to something we're doing that is uh, it's new, but it's not a replacement. It's in addition. You know, when the pressure is on, and the pressure is on in this world, in this life, like I can't even believe. I mean, I've been saying for 10 or 12 years now we're headed towards secession for sure, possibly a civil war. And I hear, of course, everybody else kind of saying those possibilities now, including Trump the other night. But when the pressure is on, uh, there's only a couple of choices. Some will run. Some will fold, i.e. surrender. And uh, it's kind of interesting, the sequence of events that's happened, uh, me personally, which I will share more actually next week, that has led me to take a, a step. And that is, uh, this program is not going to cut back in time. It's not going to come, cut back in frequency. It's not going to cut back in its intensity. Some, you know, will applaud that. Some would lament that. But instead, we are going to increase our efforts, not with more of this program, but an additional program that is going to be a little bit differently focused. And why? Because time is short. It is really short. I'm not saying, uh, unlike a lot of my Christian brethren, I'm sorry, gotten a big, big... <laughs> Not argument, but debate last night, and the other party brought it up. Gosh, I'm so glad we're close to the rapture. Greg Laurie says, well, we're the next event on world stage is the is a pre-trib rapture. Well, when it doesn't happen at the beginning of the pre-trib, it'll be the pre-trib rupture, not the pre-trib rapture. What I see coming is just simply bad news. And if you have read my book, The Rapture Revisited, finally a lawyer takes a look at end-time events, You'll know that what I said in there is that I had less conviction that the compelling arguments in that book against a pre-trib rapture and in support of a post-trib rapture, I had less conviction that those compelling arguments would actually move the dial of very many people. And that more likely what would move the dial is when things simply start to go down the toilet. Things start to get really bad, and they're getting worse at an unbelievable rate. I mean, from uh, you know, I don't even need to get into that at this point. But that would be what would start to cause people to reconsider their theological, eschatological conclusion to this world. Now, God doesn't subject us to his wrath, but the tribulation is about what Satan does, not what God does, it's what Satan does. Wrath is what God does, and even if we were here for part of his wrath, he could protect us. He's God. Don't short, don't short sell him. We've not been subjected to his wrath. It says that. And we could be here. I mean, we were 
the Hebrews were around when all the ten plagues hit Israel, I mean, hit uh, Egypt, right? God's wrath, Korah's rebellion, 250 sunk down into that pit, but nobody else did. God's wrath was poured out, Ananias and Sapphira, nobody standing close by, got hit with friendly fire. No, he can do, he is God. Don't short sell him what he can do, but you need to be prepared for what's ahead. This program is part of that preparation, but I'm going to add a companion program which is going to come out sometime also on the weekend, hopefully starting next week, hopefully every week, but maybe not every week. And it's going to be called Sometime, I'm sorry, Sunday Mornings with Robin Walter. And it's going to be a little bit of a, it's going to be a compliment to this program. Um, this program will and always have its emphasis on the political, cultural matters but with a little scripture appropriately placed in to give direction to the discussion, to give direction to the program. The new program, Sunday Morning with Robin Walter, is going to be dominantly scripture. It's going to be a little more preaching. But I will use contemporary social moral issues here and there to give application to the scripture that I'm discussing. So the so this program is going to give direction to the political matters by a few scriptures that, that sort of just sum up where we are and give a little bit of encouragement. The Sunday Morning with Robin Walter is going to be uh, more preaching, definitely more preaching, but I will continue to use here and there contemporary matters for to which everything that I'm teaching and preaching needs to be applied. So they're kind of like two sides of the same coin. And uh, as, I'm, as I said, uh, it's not going to be a substitute for church on Sunday morning, though if you're sick, you may want to tune it in. And like I said, it's, I may not get to it every week. I, th I thought about calling it sometimes on Sunday morning with Robin Walter. Well, I, I want to be more regular with that, but I have a limited time schedule, and I, I want to make it a priority where we get to doing it each week. Now, how are you going to get it? I will repeat this. Next week on this program, I will repeat it on the first program itself. But for my podcast listeners, there's three different ways, but however you get this program, if you just listen for the way you get this program, we'll instruct you how to get the next program if you are so inclined. The podcast, will um, you will enter on your podcast button on your smartphone or however you pick it up. Two different entries for the two programs. The one you go to the Robin Walter Show, which is this program. The other one is going to be a separate entry. Entry is going to be Sunday morning with Robin Walter. That's how it would be the podcast. If you get this program through Rumble, if you get it through Rumble, they will be lumped together, and you will just type in what you have always put in on Rumble, the Robin Walter Show, and both programs are going to come up in the order in which they were given. So you might see the Robin Walter show uh, second to uh, Sunday morning with Robin Walter. They're going to show up together. I don't know why my engineer um, <laughs> said it's going to be a lot less confusing to just do it this way. If you are getting, if you get the program on the website, robinwalter.net, 
You'll still go to robinwalter.net, and on there you will have a choice which one to download. It will be there. There will be a choice. Don't know exactly what it looks like right now, but you'll just make that selection. So there you go. Podcasts, there will be separate entries. Um, Rumble, it's the same entry, but then you fish out the program you want to hear in chronological order of the most recent being on top. And then the um, webpage, robinwalter.net, you will get to simply choose right from the webpage which one you want to listen to. Uh, For my contributors, which are not a lot, but they're consistent, and I thank and praise God for you, uh, nothing will change. Everything is under the Robin Walt. I'm sorry, under Red Sky Radio. So it's kind of like Red Sky Radio, and then beneath that we got the Robin Walter Show, and then we got uh, Sunday Morning with Robin Walter. Kind of the two programs under the Red Sky Radio Ministry. Okay, that's the good news. I think it's good news, and here's what I'm just I'm thinking. As things get worse, and they are getting worse by the week. There is warning that I will continue to give you on this program. Some examples, some warning, some direction. As I said, this program is about some direction and the warning, kind of like where the, it's a watchman on the wall ministry. But as we get deeper into this, there's going to have to be a greater application of scriptures to deal with the situation and not just deal with the end times. <clears throat> But frankly, just to survive, and yes, you ready? And to thrive during the end times. It's it's going to be a, it's an end times ministry, but it's going to how you survive and thrive under any circumstance. It's not going to be Sunday church as usual, so forth like that. No, going to be a distinct application, but from a more uh, concentration of Scripture. And I think you'll be blessed. You pick which one, pick both of them. I hope that you support it. I'll explain next week another way that you can support it that, um, well, I'll just explain it next week. Okay. All right. My fast and furious in five. I hope I can do it in five. All right. So what's the latest? I, I predicted that George Soros would influence Alex Soros, who would influence uh, Barack Obama, who would influence Joe Biden and all of the other left wing lemons in this lemmings in this administration, that the key to control is to raise a crisis, a global crisis through global warning mandate and global warming climate change emergency. Well, they're still looking at trying to do that. Isn't it amazing? We got another uh, COVID virus coming around. I don't know what it's called. Something, something, blah, blah, blah. And the CDC is actually saying, look, just because you had all your previous boosters doesn't mean you'll be protected from this one. And the people that are most likely to get it again are those who have gotten the COVID shot. That's what they're saying. And you know why we could predict this as well? Because guess what? We have have an election coming up and we need to steal another one so that we can cement demonic control over the United States uh, until the Lord returns. But to the end that they're pushing the global warming mantra at every possibility, and as a sequel to debunking the whole climate change crapola from Governor Josh Green of Hawaii regarding the Lahaina fires, if you didn't hear last week's program, you need to hear it. 
because I shred that with facts, just simple facts that take that apart. I didn't even get to the Scripture. I guess we'll get to the Scripture in the, in the Sunday morning program at some point. But all the same old garbage has come out with Tropical Storm Hillary in California, which incidentally, I had a bunch of people, thank you for calling us, seeing how we were doing here in western Arizona, never got touched. I could spit more rain than we got, and we need rain. But supposedly, this is another global warming, absolute confirmation of global warming, blah, blah, blah. This is the proof. Well, they said this is the, and this is what they've said. This is a, this is a first tropical storm. Well, this is global warming. This is climate change. This is the first tropical storm we've had in 84 years in Southern California. Guess what they just did? They just proved that it's not climate change. How? Because they just admitted that something worse happened in 84 years ago. Was it climate change 84 years ago? Well, if it wasn't climate change 84 years ago that caused that huge tropical storm that hit Southern California, then it's not necessarily climate change that caused this one. You can't have it both ways. They think they can. They think you're stupid. They think I'm stupid. When, in fact, they're stupid. Okay, end of that one. Keep moving here. Well, no, no, one other comment. I guess because it, it comes up in the context of Joey, Joey Cornpop going to... Um, going to Lahaina, I hope you saw the video of him snoring, snoozing during the Maui Memorial. Yeah? No, of course they wouldn't show that on the mainstream news because they're like they haven't shown the other 187 ridiculously embarrassing things, all of which would have been shown with Donald Trump, and not all of which would have been shown, all of which would have been shown about 10 or 12 times over a five-week period. Oh, gosh, what else didn't they show? They didn't show his motorcade coming where people were F-bombing him and giving him the middle finger of diplomacy, as they say. No, they won't show that. Uh. Okay, so what's Joey Biden doing about the border crisis? Yeah, he's doing something with a wall, right? Here's what he's doing with a wall. This last week, the Biden administration welded a gate in the Arizona border wall open. Open. He welded it open. Do you realize this is treason? Do you realize this guy and the penalty for treason is death, but you gotta have a you have to have a trial. He's gotta be convicted. This is treason. This is how much he despises this country, or he doesn't know what he's doing. It's probably a combination of both. But speaking of fences, we've got this loser called the Pope coming out of the Vatican. The Vatican is slamming how inhuman the U.S. southern border fence is. Totally human. Hey, Poop, Poop Francis, why don't you just stay out of other people's affairs? Because you don't know Jack or what you're talking about. I'll say this about you, Jack. <laughs> I don't think you're the Antichrist like a lot of people think you are. I don't think you are. I don't think you're smart enough. Antichrist will be smart. But this is a this is a hypocrisy. So the Vatican is is ringing us out for having a inhumane US southern border fence 
Well, what, pray tell, surrounds the Vatican? A big fence, a wall with a ton of border security forces that doesn't let anybody in. So shut up, you hypocrite. Last. Oh, you know what? Do I have time for this one? Because I want to get to this debate we're going to cover. I will I'll try to fit this in. University of Pittsburgh. This is this is the J6 Democrat hypocrisy. So University of Pittsburgh, there was a the, uh, there's a college Republican chapter there that hosted a guy by the name of Michael Knowles for a debate on transgenderism. Okay? There's a debate on campus. Free speech, right? In theory. First Amendment, right? Theory. In theory. But 250 activists, protesters, set off bombs, blew off fireworks, and burned an effigy on campus of the speaker. Yeah, they they demanded that, um, you know, he quit speaking and everything. And so what did the university do? Did the university find the left-wing lemons, also known as Antifa and BLM and all your other whack jobs, that uh, we're going to be paying for their so-called college education, which is really college indoctrination? No. They charged the speaker and the organization. They charged the college Republicans the 19000 bucks for all the damage that the left-wing weenies did during that. Now, why do I point that out? Now, they are, they're reversing it because they got a hostile letter from one great organization. But listen, this is the reverse. Now, apply this to the J6 defendants. The J6 people didn't set off bombs. They didn't set off fireworks. They didn't burn anybody in effigy in the, in the Capitol Rotunda. There was some very minor damage. But they, all, including all that are absolutely, totally innocent, rot in jail while the left wingtards in Pittsburgh who cause real damage against people who are exercising their First Amendment right, they skate while the university then imposes a fine on those who are innocently exercising a First Amendment right. This is the left. And here's what they're trying to do. They want to not only try to... If you can't, if you can't force the right to shut up, people with brains, common sense, and are saved people who, some of whom distinctly know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and convict all the left-wing weenies of their sin, if you can't get them shut down by official means at the administrative level because some court has now told them, hey, you don't get to shut down people whose views you don't like. This is the next step in shutting it down. You can say whatever you want, but whoever causes damage in opposing you because they're triggered because they can't handle the truth, you get to pay for it. We'll silence you financially so you don't get to speak up on campuses. All right. To the debate. I loved watching this, but I'm going to start out with a complaint. And, yeah, I... I just have to say this. 
I have a bone to pick with Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson, which I never thought I would say this. Understand it's only a bone that I'm picking, nothing more, but I think it's petulant. I think it was childish, and I think it was amateurish, sophomoric, and beneath the two of them to air the program of Trump's Twitter interview, X now, five minutes before the Fox News and Fox uh, Financial Channel and Rumble aired the debate. It was. I understand Trump, the election was stolen. Isn't any question in it about it. Anybody who doesn't believe that is purposefully ignorant. It was stolen. Did Tucker Carlson get raked over the coals and ripped off? Absolutely. Because he's the most was the boldest voice on uh, on TV, frankly. Yeah. He does he have a bone to pick with them, a lawsuit with them? Absolutely he does. Is Trump getting screwed nineteen different indictment ways? Absolutely. He absolutely whatever it's up to. I I can't even keep track of him. I guess it's four indictments with multiple counts. I let mainstream news take care of most of that stuff. But this was not the this was not the nice or right or professional thing to do to try in in revenge against Fox. This is what they've done. They lured people away from a debate which people needed to hear. In other words, they got their revenge. But revenge at the expense of multiple millions of viewers who didn't go to the debate because they wanted to hear Trump basically say the same things over, some of which he's starting to say that I've been saying for 10 or 12 years. We're on the verge of civil war. He didn't talk about secession, I don't think. That's kind of been the, my gig, if you will. Because you do that first, you try to leave, and if they try to shoot you in the rear end as you leave, then you're stuck in a civil war waged by the left. But this is petulant. This was childish to do a revenge airing of the program to to just try to wreck Fox News. And maybe you did. But it was childish to deprive a lot of people of being able to simply hear both. You could hear the Twitter thing anytime. Now, you could also hear the debate, too. If you want to go on, you can get a viewing of that. But the debate was important. Maybe Trump is, who knows, maybe he's sick. Maybe he's dead. Maybe he is in a prison under some way by which he really can't run. Maybe certain red states somehow have a Democratic uh, Secretary of State that takes him off the ballot, and he can't be on it. We need to know who's the second choice, who would now then be the first choice. And alternatively, we need to see without him present, and I'm glad he wasn't present, we need to see who would be his best running mate. You see, this is what that preempting did. I think it sort of deprived some people of drawing a conclusion as to who would be his running mate and who would be numero uno if he is not at the top of the ticket. So, all right, to the debate itself. I'm going to go down the line on topics, give you my assessment 
I can't, uh, we've only got about 30 minutes left here. I can't go too deeply into this and cover it all. So I'm going to go down by topic, by, by topic, tell you who I thought had the absolute best answer, maybe who had the worst answer, and in some cases on an important topic, uh, what a name you might expect doesn't show up is because they didn't get to answer the question. Not everybody got to answer every question. That's important to note. So I have to work with what we were provided. Climate change, alleged climate change, let off the night. Well, wait a minute. I have to say it, it started out with our opening statements. It's a little bit like a trial, right? You have your opening statements. Then you have the um, uh, examination or cross-examination by the moderator, so to speak, a chance for them to respond. And then you have the closing arguments at the end. Uh, I like the format. It's a format I'm familiar with. So uh, to any event, without question, in my mind, the best opening statement was Ramaswamy. Now, Ramaswamy has some issues, which I'm going to deal with a little bit later in the program, because I'm going to come to his defense on something that has roiled a lot of Republicans. Second best opening statement, in my opinion, actually really truly was Ron DeSantis. Uh, he did better than I thought. Um, I can't say anybody had bad opening statements, because opening statements they memorize they have it down to what they want it to be. It's just that who's, who is the best, um, I won't get into that. Now, we get to the climate change, which is the first substantive issue. Without question, the best answer was, again, Vivek, and I'm sorry if I've been mispronouncing. I've called him, calling him Vivek. Before I ever heard him, I only read about him. I called him Vivek. Well, so I'll get to the right pronunciation eventually. Vivek, I think, is what it is now. Absolutely the best. Does he believe in climate change? This was his answer. I don't think he really does in any meaningful way because what he said is that what has done more damage than climate change itself have been climate change policies. Understand that. What a great answer. Whatever the damage of climate change is, and he wasn't admitting to any amount, great or small, but one fact is that the climate change policies have caused more problem and are causing more problem and will cause more problems than whatever the climate change might be. Remember, 2012, 11 years ago, uh, we were, there are parts of this country that supposed to be underwater, and absolute worst... Absolute worst climate change response, Nikki Haley. Second best climate change answer was actually Ron DeSantis. Um, abortion. Best answers, best responses were Rick, or I'm sorry, uh, Tim Scott and uh, DeSantis, followed by Pence. Followed by Pence. Worst, absolutely, without question, Nikki Haley who said, let me start out by telling you here, I am absolutely 100% pro-life, <clears throat> and then at, went on to explain all of the exceptions as to why she actually really isn't. She's out after the Republican women, suburban women vote, who she thinks are into slaughtering their children in the womb, but she compromised badly. 
Uh, how did Ramaswamy do on that? He didn't get to answer. The question never came to him. I know he is pro-life. Crime. Uh, best answer, I will tell you, was Ramaswamy. Um, worst on crime was Mike Pence, without question. He bristled. In fact, this was interesting because everybody was attacking Ramaswamy because they were seeing his meteoric rise in the polls, and they got to shoot this guy. They didn't have, as Brett Baer said, the uh, the eight hundred. There's the eight hundred pound elephant that was not in the room, which is Trump. The elephant not in the room, so they went after Ramaswamy, the one who's gaining and passing everybody else. Christie attacked him. <clears throat> which I have more to share on. Pence went after him. And any time Ramaswamy would talk, you had this a, a split screen, and Pence would bristle. He was obnoxiously, would, would obnoxiously interfere. Now, I give Pence credit for one thing. He went up there and said, well, first of all, I just want to tell you that I my words and my, everything I say and do is based on my faith in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He made a couple of testimonials that were, Good. And then he went on to give some some good answers, some very bad answers. And most of the time, he was bristling because Ramaswamy's good answers and Ramaswamy's smile was getting under his skin. We'll be right back. The Robin Walter Show is a listener-supported program. Your contribution goes to help as many people as possible to hear that the Word of God has answers to help you survive and even thrive in the dark days ahead in this country. We pledge to bring you the critical information you need to make informed decisions in this age where big tech and big media have conspired to rid our country of everything Christian. Please send your support to... Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. Have you heard the story of the hot rod race with the Fords and Lincolns was set in the face? That story is true, I'm here to say. I was driving that Model A. It's got a Lincoln motor and it's really souped up. That Model A body makes it look like a pup. It's got eight cylinders and uses them all. Got overdrive, just won't stall. Okay, you're wondering who, who did that one? Oh, my gosh. Hot Rod Lincoln was Commander Cody, the Lost Planet Airmen. Don't know what year that was. Hope you enjoyed it. I love bringing out some new music. I got some more new music planned. Back to the program. Next question was about Trump. The elephant who's not in the room. I wasn't 800 pound. It was That's 800 pound gorilla. That's not the way Brett Bear said it. I realized I misspoke. Uh the elephant not in the room. Okay, so who here, if Trump is a candidate, would support him? First hand up, and a vigorous hand up, is Ramaswamy. Some think he's some think he's uh, shooting for a VP candidacy. <clears throat> I don't think so. 
I mean, if that's what happens, it comes that way. I think Trump would be hugely mistaken not to pick him. He's loyal. He's smart. He's really ridiculously intelligent. He needs some work on foreign affairs. He needs some coaching. And don't make 38-year-old mistakes uh, uh, before a national audience. But he didn't, in my opinion. That He did off the air make one, which we're going to cover in a minute. But he was vigorously there. And, and sadly, sadly, Ron DeSantis sort of looks to his side to see who else is raising his hand before he raises his. <clears throat> it was bother- That was bothersome about Ron. But anyway, who didn't? Asa Hutchinson, uh, loser. Chris Christie, loser. Mike Pence, loser. Those three did not raise their hands. And, uh, and in fact, then Christie cut in and explained why he wasn't. He lifted his finger not to, initial, uh, to sign support, give a sign of support, for Trump, but to say that he wanted to speak. And then he lambasted Trump as he would. Ramaswamy pitched it and said, personally, he said, hey, I think Donald Trump is absolute best 21st century president of the United States. And uh, then Christie ripped into him because they're all trying to take him down. Next question. Aid to Ukraine. Who would cease funding for Ukraine? Or who, who would stop the funding for Ukraine? Absolutely, vigorously, without any hesitation, Ramaswamy's hand shot to the sky, and I don't think anybody else raised their hand. And I... Th- I don't want to even say, you know, I'm going to say what I wanted to say about that till a little bit later. So we get to who are the biggest losers of the night? Hutchinson, uh, Haley, uh, Christie, and Pence. The interesting thing about Christie, he is probably the best speaker. He's the best debater. But his lines were prepared. He knew what he wanted to say. Uh, the one where he really tried to rattle Ramaswamy, Ramaswamy's great response was not even picked up on air. He had to see it in print. But the fact that Christie's a great debater means simply that he can get away with more untruth and have people believe more untruth. It's like Obama. He's a, he's a de- Clinton. He's a great speaker, which means he had an easier time bamboozling people. Uh, uh, Pence was uh, probably in that crowd of the losers. He was probably the best of the four losers. But he was he was a pugilist. He was a fighter. He wanted to try to show people he had spunk and spark, and he was he was gutsy and all of that. But he came off he came off irritable to me. Um, response to education: absolute best was Ramaswamy, absolute worst was Nikki Haley. Uh, I will say this about uh, Governor Burgum of North Dakota, who is uh, who probably needs to leave the stage. I like him. There was no one 
who stuck to his time limit and at the same time packed more into his time limit besides Burgum and I would also say Ramaswamy. They're both very, very sharp. Who got the most boos? Who was booed the most? Christie and Pence. Who would I say was the most improved from previous, not previous debates, but previous speaking engagements would prob- would be uh, Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis. DeSantis did better than I thought. Um, and I get down to who was best overall. Then I get down to, without question, it was Ramaswamy. This guy's the real deal. I know he's taking some flack. Um, because he uh, got outside of his lane with respect to uh, a question about four or five days ago about Israel. And we're going to go into that because I want to discuss what he said. And I find it interesting that Joseph Farah, World Net Daily, somebody with whom I respect incredibly, I mean, we go. We just go right down the same path in the in the pea pod together. He said, "I liked I liked Vivek Ramaswamy until yesterday, or something like that, or until a day ago." And he was focusing on Ramaswamy's comment about ending aid to Israel, which was taken out of context. I do know, though, for those of you who uh, subscribe to or tune into or follow World Net Daily articles uh, online, Farah took his piece down within 24 hours that he had up. And I think it's because he heard the totality of Ramaswamy, what he had to say, and especially how he dealt with it deftly, and in my opinion, sincerely, uh, before an, an audience of over 13 million people. But... Um, this is a this is a situation. He said that uh, he would come to a time. There come to a time where he would end the aid to Israel, the three point eight billion that we send them and we're committed to uh, up through two thousand and twenty eight. Now I have followed Ramaswamy for many months. You guys have heard me talking about him. I've had. I've had Listeners write in and say, could you spell the guy's name so we can find him on the Internet? I get that. Now, he, but he, he's 38, he's young, but he can be taught. He can be persuaded. And I've already witnessed some evolution in his thinking. But it's actually not evolution, it's development. Uh, like I said, uh, his passion for this country honestly rivals Trump's. But he does it differently, and this is why I like the guy. He comes out with a smile and a hope for the future in a different way. There's a positivity in him that is to accomplish the things that Trump wants to do, but it does it with smile, congeniality that I think is sincere, and he is passionate. He is Trump 2.0, but he is somebody who is going to get millennial votes. I know he will, without compromising. But, it, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'll admit, his foreign policy chops 
are lacking a bit here. But I want to throw in something real quick like here. So were Reagan's, who didn't know anything about foreign policy, and and Trump. Trump had a good deal, a good had a good insight on China, had a good insight on the uh, NATO countries needing to pitch in. But he had no precise experience. I mean, if you want experience in foreign policy as a criteria of being able to run for president, then go to Hillary Clinton. She sold us out with a lot of foreign policy experience. Go to John Kerry. He's trying to sell us out on a climate change agenda. But two things are going to carry Ramaswamy in this area. First of all, he his character of the individual will, will get him uh, to the right conclusion, along with, number two, the right advisors. The right advisors and his character, those two things are going to get him to the right conclusions and the right decisions. You see, Ronald Reagan had good advisors. They knew he had good advisors that knew more about foreign policy than he did. He surrounded himself with good people, better than he was in select areas. And why? Because Ronald Reagan was not particularly narcissistic. He wasn't. He was okay being surrounded by people who were better than he. Sorry about focusing on the right grammar. It's not better than him. It's better than he. Finish the sentence. Better than he was instead of better than him was. Now you get why the right grammar is better than he. Sorry. I just, every now and then, I hear my mother speaking, who was an English teacher, should box our ears for a wrong comma splice. But that's what I was raised in, so uh, you got to put up with that. Well, I guess you don't. You could change a channel. But uh, his, his advisors were good. Obama's advisors were terrible. They were awful. And he surrounded himself with evil advisors like Biden, who had even worse credentials than he. And why? Because Obama was a narcissist. I said from the day that he picked Joe Biden, the only reason he picked Joe Biden was he wanted to make sure that when the two of them were together, that he was guaranteed to look better than Biden because Biden was such a loser. He was so sorry. Look, you don't need to Biden to pick up the state of Delaware in a, in a, <clears throat> for president if you're running for a Democrat. It's a loser state. That's why he picked Biden was to make sure he always looked good. He always looked good around all of his loser advisors because he was narcissistic. And to some extent, Donald Trump made the same mistakes. He does not like somebody else showing him up, which is, I'll say it right now because I may forget it later, I hope if he doesn't, if he's a candidate and he doesn't pick Ramaswamy and Ramaswamy hasn't put his foot in it and stumbled and done a, uh, an unrecoverable face plant somewhere down the line, I hope he. It's if he doesn't pick him, it's uh, it's not because he's afraid of Ramaswamy getting more attention in the audiences than he does. I don't think that would be the case. I think he Ramaswamy might be the ticket for him to to win. As I mentioned last week, I think he's the best one as a companion on the ticket for Trump to win. 
I don't think anybody else can pull it off except possibly with uh, Tim Scott or Byron Donalds out of Florida. But anyway, so Obama was awful, but I don't, I don't see, I don't see that narcissistic pride in Ramaswamy. I don't. He is he he is Trump 2.0 in the sense that he loves this country. This country has enabled him to be the billionaire that he is through hard work and education, and his family coming here, first generation with nothing from India, and he's made good on the American dream. He is one who can say it from experience, and that's key. He's come here and to do it with joy and smile and a passion that, look, my kids, I want my kids to be able to accomplish what I've accomplished. And it can only happen here in America. And it cannot happen ever again if there's a Democrat president. That's his position. And I don't see his pride. He will learn. And here's my biblical application to this situation. Rehoboam was a bad son of Solomon. Solomon, the wisest, you know, wisest king ever. Before and subsequent. That's what Scripture says. He's the wisest king ever. Bad choice with Rehoboam in that Rehoboam did not follow godly counsel. Rehoboam surrounded himself with the young punks that he grew up with instead of following the sage and elderly advice of, of Solomon's advisors. I do not think there is a risk of Ramaswamy following advisors of his generation that don't share his values. That's an important distinction. He's going to have young advisors, and that does not hurt. Look, we need to, we need to plan for a remnant here. Uh, I don't think he will do that. He will pick, if he picks somebody that's of his generation, it's be, going to be because they share his values. Not and, and he has had good people surrounding him. And I want to share what a rabbi said about him later on. I've got to get to that here. I've got to speed it up. But he won't do that. And he will follow the sage and elderly advice of those who do share his values in an older generation. He will be like a Joshua. And this is my thought. Joshua had great advisors. And it says in Scripture that Joshua followed their advice. He followed the advice of these others. He didn't rule in a singular fashion. And he died before uh, a number of his great older advisors. And it says that Israel had peace and was well run as long as the advisors that advised Joshua were still alive. And then when those sage and elderly men went, Israel went down the toilet. Went down the toilet. I think that is key. I think he will do that. Now, you know, I'm going to jump back to Christie for a second. But because he and all these others were, were, were railing on Ramaswamy because he's inexperienced. What they were really after is, well, Obama was inexperienced. 
So was Trump. So was Reagan. But here is the key. And if you take nothing from the program, take this. Reagan was a great president. Reagan was an outsider to Washington. Trump was a great president. As Ramaswamy said, the greatest 21st century president. Trump was an outsider. The only one on that stage the other night that's an outsider was Ramaswamy. You see, the deep state hates him, and they're already dredging up stuff, and he's got the deep state Republicans, sort of kind of the Christies and Mike Pence going after him. And maybe that the deep state will come to hate him more than Trump. In part, hate him, but have to hate him in a different way because he is much harder to dislike. Trump is easier to dislike than Ramaswamy is. He's got a smile. Oh, boy, oh, boy. And you know what? I just have to say this. I uh, I may have to just spin this off in the next week to finish this. But when Ramaswamy shot his hand up in the, a response to cutting off the aid to the Ukraine, and as vigorously as he did it, when no one else did, this is something he pointed out. He without he didn't point out the passage, but he reflected a scriptural passage, which is the libertarian view, which is my view of foreign policy. Proverbs twenty six seventeen. The most instructive foreign policy verse in the entire Bible, and that is that the person who meddles in somebody else's affairs is like the one who picks up a dog by the ears. You can't put the dog down because the dog will bite you because the dog hates you because you're hurting him by holding up his holding him by his ears. So you're stuck holding him by the ears. This is what Joe Biden, this is what the military industrial complex, I know I'm sounding like RFK Jr. here now, did in the 60s and every war since then. That's why we got bogged down in Afghanistan, why we got bogged down in Vietnam, why we'll get bogged down in Ukraine. Because no one will listen to Proverbs 26:17. No one. Except Ramaswamy. I don't think he even knows that verse except he knows it internally. We do not need to be fighting somebody else's war, protecting somebody else's borders when we're not protecting our own. And one last little tidbit. Do you know that the aid we have given to Ukraine just so far amounts to $900 for every single household in the United States? 900 bucks. For every single household in the United States. Okay. Ramaswamy on the aid to Israel. What he said was, you know, the aid to Israel, he said, we give it as a, as a commitment. That comes to an end in 2028. And we, we need to be done with it. But what he's also said is, unless they need it. He said, our relationship with Israel is, I don't want Israel to be our client in the Middle East. I want them to be our friend. If they need the money, they're going to get it. He went on to say, Israel, there will be, there will be no president 
that Israel loves more by the end of my first term. He's made that really clear. It's a relationship of friendship and bond, not one of client and obligation. Yeah, we give them $3.8 billion and maybe that comes to an end. But what he's also saying is if they need $8.8 billion, if they need $10.8 billion, that's what a friend does. That's not what he does. you do for your client or somebody as of a matter of contract and obligation. You do that for your friends. And he went on to say, look, I love Israel. Israel carries out the best of what I would hope our country does. They actually secure your borders. We don't do that. They actually have a national identity. We're trying to get rid of one. He went down the line and listed all the reasons he loves Israel for the things that he doesn't, that we aren't doing. I get it. He said he's going to be right there leading the Abraham Accords 2.0. Yeah, I don't like what he said about the giving aid to some of the countries that surround him. And I, but I, what he didn't surround Israel, but he's not trying to say, I will pay, I will pay for peace. He's trying to find a way to, to expand and add on the Abraham Accords. Now, if we, in this, these waning minutes here, if we can go back to his days about, in Yale, when he was at Yale Law School. There was a rabbi there who was part of the Yale University Society, uh, a Jewish society there, called the Jewish Telegraphic Agency. And it was Rabbi Shmuley Hecht. Don't know if I pronounced that right. Uh, Shmuley, Shmuley Hecht. I love these Jewish names. It's like they need to buy some vowels. This is S-H-M-U-L-L-Y. There's only one vowel in his first name, only one vowel in his last name. Anyway, speaking of Ramaswamy, this rabbi knows him well. He said, and I am quoting Rabbi Hecht, Vivek Ramaswamy is, quote, the most pro-Israel candidate running for president of the United States. Isn't that something? He just got done saying he's more pro-Israel than even Donald Trump. A rabbi who knows him well and knows him all the way back when he was 24 years old in law school. So anything that Ramaswamy is saying about his love for Israel now is not, he's not trying to walk back a comment that he said that was very precise, but that's his problem. He's intelligent enough that he speaks precisely enough that some people do not pick up really the greater point of what he's trying to say. I'm going to cut him some slack because if what he's saying now aligns with what he said 14 years ago as a first-year law student at the University of Yale, Yale University, from Rabbi Shemuli Hecht, the most pro-Israel presidential candidate there was. Somebody knew him way back then and compares him to even be more pro-Israel than Donald Trump. Then you have to know Israel really, truly will have a friend in the White House, whether it's president or vice president. Yeah. That is the truth. This isn't a spin. This is not the Robin Walters spin room. 
That is the truth about this guy. So understand, God is doing a great work here, and I think what might be the last attempt to save this country. Remember, sit tall in the saddle, America. Ride for the brand, the brand of Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week. We got a tail.